Alright, hi, this is Rollins Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, welcome. Now today what we're doing is we're actually going into part two of our new series, which is entitled, More of You, God. And we're crying out, we're making that a cry of our hearts as we continue to go through the new year into this fall season, saying, God, we want more than anything else, more of you to be who you've called us to be, to do what you've called us to do, and to do it in the manner in which you said to do it by the power and person of your Holy Spirit. We began by talking about those three things last week in our message, and today what we're doing is we're actually focusing on this statement that we will better understand the person of the Holy Spirit when we look to Jesus for his word. We will better understand the person of the Holy Spirit when we look to Jesus for his word. And so today we're going to continue this series by breaking the message down into three parts. We're going to better understand the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, by looking at the presence of the Holy Spirit that God described. Secondly, the person of God that the Holy Spirit reveals to us. And then finally, the priorities of God as revealed by that same Holy Spirit. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given it to us so that we might better know and understand you. That as we look into your word, we might understand your presence, know your person, and live by your priorities. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start by looking into God's Word. And where we left off last week was where Jesus himself was clearly giving instruction to the world, saying, listen, everybody needs to know that one day you will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that judgment, God is going to entrust all judgment to his Son. And anyone who does not come through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ at the cross will receive what their sins actually deserve. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me, he was making a very inclusive claim saying, I want the whole world to come to me. That's why he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It was a very inclusive claim, but it was also very exclusive saying there was no way to come to the father except through Jesus. But why? It was because of what Jesus would accomplish on the cross, taking the punishment for humanity's sins yours and mine, taking the wrath of God on himself, according to the scriptures and his own predictions. And three days later, according to those same scriptures, rising from the dead so that whoever would turn from their sins, turn from their wrongdoing and put their faith in Jesus Christ would have not only forgiveness of those sins, but new life in him. 
You see, that's the appeal that Jesus is always making. God the Father is always making through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same appeal that he makes to you today. But when we pick up in the place that we left off last week, we see Jesus clarifying that person, that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God himself, who's continually making that appeal continually drawing people to himself that they might know him, walk with him, and then therefore be saved. And so let's pick up today in John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, talking about first the presence of God. It says, if you love me, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I, this is Jesus speaking, will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go. So what we see here is Jesus clearly speaking about the presence of God. And what we see is that when God is talking about the relationship that this very day God is calling each and every one of us into with himself, he is not just talking about commandments that are to be obeyed. They are not just rules and regulations that we are subject to. You see, it's not, it's not devoid of those expectations, but it is not only those expectations. 
When Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And anyone who has my commandments and obeys them, that's the one who loves me. What he's talking about is the basis of relationship. Just like when you and your spouse are in a relationship or you and a significant other are in a relationship, there are certain expectations that you have of one another to express your love and your devotion towards one another. It might be quality time. It might be physical touch. It might be the words of affirmation and encouragement, cheering one another on in life's ambitions and purposes. It might be actually just having a shared life of sharing both joys and sorrows and pains. But what we see is that God's given commandments that are to be obeyed, but he says, I'm not just giving you commandments that are to be obeyed, which will be proof of your love for me, but I'm also going to, in turn, give you my presence. I'm going to, in turn, give you my very person to be with you. And that relationship will be what obliterates this idea of dead religion in your mind and heart. That God is not just an idea. God is not just a philosophy. God is not just a set of moral statutes. God is a person who by his presence comes to be with you. But the question is, how is God with us if God the Father, the creator of all the known universe, is sitting enthroned in heaven on high and Jesus his son, after his crucifixion, ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. How is God, in fact, with us? Well, Jesus actually tells us and explains to us the presence of God that we should expect to have in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how God interacts with us on a daily basis in a dynamic, not a static manner. So that whenever you hear people talking about, I speak with God the Father and I pray to him through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I actually hear things back from God. What in the world are they talking about? What do they mean? Are they crazy? No, they're not crazy. They're actually just experiencing what God himself promised in his word when he talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he talked about the Holy Spirit in such a manner that in this passage we see the explanation of the Trinity. That there's God the Father, there is God the Son, there is God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, but they're all God. So that when you're talking to God the Father, he is God. When you're relating to Christ the Son, He also is God. And when you're relating to the Holy Spirit, who is the present day presence of God with you as a believer, He also is God. So that you can have a dynamic walk with the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity and know that you're relating to this one God in real time, based on his word. How do we know this? Let's go back to what Jesus said, talking about the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. He said, and again, in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another helper to be 
with you forever. Meaning that you don't won't just know about this helper, but there's something about him being with you in real time, coming near and drawing near by proximity to you. He will actually relate with you just as you relate with family members, just as you relate with friends, just as you relate with coworkers and can be in the very same room with them. This is the language that God's using here. He's saying, I love you so much that I don't want to be just God far off on high speaking commands from a distance to you. I want to come and help you and be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he said, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him, right? So in the naturalist world, if you cannot experience things merely with your natural senses, then they dismiss it. But God's saying, I'm even more than that. You will experience me in your physical body. You will experience me in your natural senses, but I'm more than that. And if you can't see something, it doesn't mean that it's not there. Just like the air we breathe, just like the brain you think with. (laughs) It's there. And in the same way, he says, this Holy Spirit, he's going to come to you and you're going to know him. Why? Because he's going to dwell in you, dwell with you rather, and be in you. He will dwell with you and be in you. To dwell with you means that he takes up residence with you. To be in you means that that is the very nature of the Holy Spirit, that where does God live? Is he just Uh, the air that we have circulating around us? No, God actually comes in the person of the Holy Spirit to live in the believer. And this is an important fact. This is an important point to make because not just everyone who knows about God has become a habitation for God. You become a habitation for God when you turn away from your sin and put your faith in what Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, did for you on the cross to reconcile you to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. And by gift, by a gift in response to what your repentance, he comes to dwell with you and be in you. That's the point of being born again. That God makes you a new man or new woman from the inside out by the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. So that God literally gives you a new heart and God gives you a new spirit free from your slavery to your former sins so that you might live in the freedom of Christ, obeying the commandments that he gave you in the first place. And Jesus in verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I won't leave you to live this Christian life by yourself. He says, but what? I will come to you. You see, so Jesus himself is even speaking of himself interchangeably with this Holy Spirit, this helper who the Father is going to send 
to the believer to dwell with them and be in them. See, this is the this is the reality. If, if we can think about Jesus, I, I don't know about you, but I often imagine walking and talking with Jesus along those dirty, dusty roads of Jerusalem and Judea. And I can imagine that very clearly. Do you sometimes imagine that yourself walking and talking with Jesus in the flesh? Well, I look forward to meeting him in his return one day. But the thing about it is even before that, even before that, we can have a dynamic walk with the Holy Spirit in real time today, walking with him, talking with him, interacting with him, hearing from him. Because in essence, God the Father is sending him to us so that God might in, have a relationship with us, relate with us through Jesus Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit, because they're one. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When you're relating with the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're in fact getting access to Jesus the Son and God the Father. Because they're all continually on the same page, and whatever one says, the other is in agreement with. And they are all working to relate and build us into the image of Christ the Son and ultimately give, make us pleasing to God the Father who gives us commands for our good. And this is what Jesus says here. He says, why does he come to you and not leave us as orphans to empower us by his presence to obey his commandments? That God might, in fact, according to the scripture, not only make a home with us, but then the same Holy Spirit might remind us of everything that he's taught us, give us the peace that the world longs for. And then as we are walking in the peace, that tranquility, the harmony, despite our circumstances that the world's longing for, we might, in fact, follow him into his purposes. This is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus continued to talk about the Holy Spirit, he spoke about not just his presence, but also his person. That the Holy Spirit, because he was the third person of the Trinity, God the Father himself, who comes to dwell with you and be in you, he reveals to you in that constant relating. As you pray, you're talking to God for the Father through the Son, by the person of the Holy Spirit. You're talking to the Holy Spirit. He begins to show you not only who, who you're supposed to be in Christ, but who God is himself. And in John chapter 16, Jesus continues to talk about not just the presence, but the person of the Holy Spirit this way. He said, I did not say these things from the beginning because I was with you. Meaning Jesus was in the flesh with the disciples. But now I'm going to him, meaning the father who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Meaning they didn't want Jesus to leave them in the flesh. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin 
I'm sorry, in judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And so Jesus here is saying, listen, it is actually better. I know you want to see me in the flesh. I know you want to walk with me in the flesh. I know you want to have the same experience that the apostles did, that the disciples did, and be able to enjoy my love, my miracles, my, 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 um, my healings, my deliverances. I know you want to experience all of those things with me in the flesh. But let me tell you this, people of God, it is better for you that I go. That's what Jesus said. Because unless I go, I can't send to you the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father has promised you. But if I go, I'll send him. <clears throat> so if you understand and remember the story, after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended on high to the Father. And on the day of Pentecost, according to his promise, he poured out the Holy Spirit that was promised. And this Holy Spirit was to reveal the person of God. So that, according to what Jesus said, he would do at least three things. He would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. This is what the person of the Holy Spirit would do. He said, according concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. You see, when you try to proclaim the good news of the gospel and the invitation of God that the world might be reconciled to him, to other people, it is not up to you to convince them. It is the job of the Holy Spirit who uses his word being proclaimed through your lips and my lips. It is the Holy Spirit that testifies to the truth of those words. When we're saying, hey, listen, turn from drunkenness, that sin will kill you. Turn from your sexual morality, that sin will kill you. Turn from your dishonoring of your parents. Turn from your adulteries. Turn from your lust. You see, people don't want to hear that naturally, but when the Holy Spirit comes and backs up the words of his commandments that we're proclaiming to people, what happens is he brings conviction saying I'm convicting because they don't want to believe in me, but I'm testifying to them by this Holy Spirit anyway that the words that you're speaking in agreement with the Bible are right. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit does, to testify to the person of God, his holiness, his goodness, how he's altogether different and wants to rescue us from the, um, from the bondage that we find in the world. Secondly, he testifies to righteousness. Concerning righteousness, Jesus said in verse 10, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. You see, when Jesus was in the flesh, there was a perfect example of not only what not to do, but also what to do, right? You see, that's the beauty of repentance. When God calls us to turn, change our mind, go in a different direction and repent of our sin, he doesn't just say what to turn from, he tells us what to turn to. And in G when Jesus was walking in the flesh, he was the perfect manifestation of what to do. He was the perfect example of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
He was the perfect example of compassion. He was the perfect example of wisdom. He was the perfect example of integrity. See, people could look at Jesus and say, if I want to know God, I can look at Jesus. I can study his life. I can watch him and whatever he does. Remember those old bracelets? What would Jesus do? If Jesus did it, I know I can do it and I'm going to be pleasing to the Father. You see, but when Jesus was crucified and resurrected and then ascended into heaven, we didn't have that physical example anymore. But what do we do now? We have the Holy Spirit, the helper, who convicts us of righteousness. Saying you may not be able to see Jesus in the flesh, but what you can do now is you can follow those promptings, those leadings of the Holy Spirit to do what's right. So when you're in the moment of decision, he's helping you to know what ought to be done. Some people call it their conscience, but let me tell you, it is more than your conscience when your eyes are set on the living God. God is in fact telling you how to live a righteous life, to do the right thing, to not only be pleasing to God, but to be blessed and fulfill his purposes in him. He says, follow me, follow my promptings, listen to the Holy Spirit, look and even acknowledge the Holy Spirit, meaning pray moment by moment and the Holy Spirit, the helper, will help you to know how to live a righteous life in your interactions with your spouse, your children, your, uh, your co-workers, your boss, those who, are, uh, who uh, report to you. In every way, he says, righteousness is the help of the Holy Spirit. But also in terms of judgment. He says the Holy Spirit, thirdly, convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world is now judged. And so what he also does is he brings a conviction of the judgment of God to come. That Satan will ultimately and has already been defeated because of the cross. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus it is a countdown to Satan's ultimate defeat. And ultimately, he's trying to drag anyone that he can with him. But Jesus is coming to convict through the Holy Spirit the world of that judgment, saying Satan already stands condemned. Now you come out of the condemnation that he's trying to pull you into. Turn away from the wild living. Give yourself to righteousness in repentance and faith and come into the life abundant that Jesus actually has for you. You see, that's the good news of the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicts. Even as you hear this, there's some of you today who are hearing this saying, you know what, there's something tugging, pulling on my heart, even through this screen, telling me I need to turn to Christ. It's because the Holy Spirit himself is convicting you of the judgment to come, saying he does not want to judge you with the rest of the world, but he wants to give you peace through his son, if you would repent and believe the good news. That's the Holy Spirit who he gives in real time to bring us to himself, to give us not only his presence, not only his person, but then finally also his priorities. And the Holy Spirit continually reminds us of the priorities of God. And in verse 12 of chapter 16, Jesus continued to speak when he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Yet when the Spirit of truth, 
the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but, he, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Again, this is Jesus speaking. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what's this talking about here? It's talking about the Holy Spirit helping us to understand the priorities of God. And what are those priorities? Well, those priorities are that, number one, there is a truth. In this generation, everybody's looking for their own truth. Live your own truth is what people say. But ultimately, what God says is that he is the truth. His ways are right. His standards are what you're going to be judged by. And ultimately, if you're going to know the truth, not just your truth, but the truth about how the world was made, how life best functions, how you will have sanity in your mind, in your emotions, in your very soul, how your relationships will be blessed, how you will live a life of purpose, you will have to come to the truth that's found in his son, Jesus Christ, revealed in his word, which was in fact authored by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit himself. And the beauty is, he says, I'm not just the author of these words, but this spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak in his own authority, but he will take from what is the Father's and make it known to you. He will take from what is the Son's, because everything that belongs to the Father is ultimately the Son's. And he says he will make it known to you. What does that mean? That means that practically every day, if we're going to have relationship and cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we've got to first go to this word that he's authored, and then allow him to instruct us by that word. I'm going to give you some practical steps of how you can speak to the Holy Spirit and allow him to instruct you by this word. Whenever you pray and are reading your Bible each day, asking the spirit of truth to lead you into all truth, you, number one, ask this, God, what are you saying about yourself? Number two, you say, God, what are you saying about me? Because it's a relationship. God, I want to know you and I want to understand, number two, how you see me. God, I want to understand, number three, what are you saying about the world around me that I might in fact develop a biblical worldview based on the spirit of truth that you're giving me? And then finally, number four, God, what do you want me to do about it? What are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about me? What are you saying about the world around me? And number four, what do you want me to do about it? And ultimately, this is where God gives us commands to, obey, to be obeyed, and then that we go into all the world making disciples of all the nations, and by the power of that spirit of truth, teaching them to obey 
everything that he's commanded us. You see, this is God's priority so that all might glorify the Son. And that's what Jesus ended with. He, meaning the Holy Spirit, will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so today, what the Holy Spirit again is doing is saying, God is declaring his good news to you. That you are dead in your transgressions and sins. That you are lost without God and without hope in the world. But God came on a rescue mission for you through Jesus Christ, his son. And through his sinless life and his work on the cross, he made a way to bring you back into a life of faith and love in him. But you do it by his word, by the spirit of truth, knowing his presence, his purpose, and then ultimately his priorities. Saying no longer do you do with your finances just what you want to do. God has a plan for them. No longer do you relate with others just the way you want to relate. God has a plan for your relationships. No longer do you just use your time the way you want to. God has an eternal plan for you to come into that he reveals to you first by his word and secondly by the person of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do today is ask God for more of himself asking him to help us to cultivate this dynamic within as we give ourselves to his presence, his purpose, his person, and ultimately his priorities, which we'll talk about more next week in Jesus name. And so I'm going to end today by saying this. If there's anyone out there who first knows they've never received the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who can transform their lives because they've never bowed their knee to Jesus, the son first. You say, in and of myself, I know I'm a rebel. I've lived in rebellion and sin against Almighty God. And I know that according to his word, I deserve the judgment that's to come. But I don't want it. And I want to reconcile with God today. If that's you, would you receive this good news today? And if you are, pray this prayer with me. Almighty God, I pray that you would forgive me my sins. I receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit today that convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I know I've not lived like Christ, and I deserve the penalties that my actions deserve. But God, I ask you today to forgive me, and I say I believe that you sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life that I should have lived. And on the cross, die the sacrificial death that I should have died. And because of his innocence, three days later, you raised him from the dead so I could have not only forgiveness of those sins, but new life in you. God, would you not only forgive me today, but make me a new creation? I declare that Jesus is Lord in charge of my life from this point forward. And I pray you would give me the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead me into his presence, his person, and his priorities. That I might obey your commands and show my love for you, even as you've loved me. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, the good news is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only next steps, but also resources of how to walk with God, the Holy Spirit in community in this new life that he has for you. Welcome back, Second City. And we want to go out victorious. We want to go out declaring the goodness of God and really knowing that we have so much power in Him to face anything, really. And so uh, we invite you to join us as we sing this last song, Stand in Your Love, and really praise the Lord um, and sing with us. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken, no I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand Shame no longer has a place to hide And I am not a captive to the lies Oh, I'm not afraid to leave my past behind No, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand shields when I Shame. This power that can empty 
All right, we hope that you are strengthened by that last worship set and are once again filled with the encouragement that comes from the knowledge of God's great love for you. We're going to continue to talk about these matters in our community groups this week. So if you've not yet found one, please do go to our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you, so let us know how we can be standing with you. And also think about how you can share this link with others who also need to be spurred on by the grace of God towards them. Uh, do invite those same people with you to our service next week. And until then, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.